Scripture lesson comes from Matthew's Gospel. I'll be reading from chapter 5, verse 21 through verse 37. This from the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it was said to those who lived long ago, don't commit murder. And all who commit murder will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with their brother or sister will be in danger of judgment. If they say to their brother or sister, you idiot, they will be in danger of being condemned by the governing council. And if they say, you fool, they will be in danger of fiery hell. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go. First, make things right with your brother or sister and then come back and offer your gift. Be sure to make friends quickly with your opponents while you are with them on the way to court. Otherwise, they will haul you before the judge and the judge will turn you over to the officer of the court and you'll be thrown into prison. I say to you in all seriousness that you won't get out of there until you've paid the very last penny. You have heard that it was said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you that every man who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. And if your right eye causes you to fall into sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better that you lose a part of your body than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to fall into sin, chop it off and throw it away. It's better that you lose a part of your body than that your whole body go into hell. It was said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a divorce certificate. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife except for sexual unfaithfulness forces her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And again... You have heard that it was said to those who lived long ago, don't make a false solemn pledge, but you should follow through on what you have pledged to the Lord. But I say to you that you must not pledge at all. You must not pledge by heaven because it's God's throne. You must not pledge by the earth because it's God's footstool. You must not pledge by Jerusalem because it's the city of the great king. And you must not pledge by your head because you can't turn one hair white or black. Let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. Here ends the reading. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. One by one, the author of Matthew's Gospel shows Jesus revisioning, repurposing, and repackaging what it means to live faithfully in light of some teachings that were as equally familiar as they were, and possibly still are, misunderstood and misapplied. Here, Jesus addressed what faithfulness looks like when it comes to getting angry with our neighbors, which was likely something his listeners had experienced instead of murder. He used the all-too-familiar command against adultery to actually address a far more common problem. Once you dig a little deeper, what was going on is that people were plotting to possess another's spouse. He used an old, familiar teaching about divorce to spell it out further and address 
some abuses that were going on. By the way, divorce then wasn't the same exactly as divorce today. Divorce here that Jesus is addressing, he's really addressing the abandoning of one spouse who was vulnerable and not able to provide for themselves. And he dropped the hammer here on the practice of stamping God's name on one's own promises in order to elevate the perception of one's own credibility. Now, something dawned on me as I prepared and poured over this very familiar passage of Scripture. What if the lessons we are supposed to learn are not just about how to live from these verses, but how to take a certain amount of freedom in wrestling with the Scriptures themselves in order to get at the root issues that face us in our own lives today? What if Matthew and Jesus were conspiring here not just to remind us of the importance of these fairly conventional household religious teachings, but rather to demonstrate for us how to dig deeper for ourselves and go beneath the surface down to the root of some of these really pressing issues of our own time? What if we had the courage to say, well... You may have heard it said before, but I say to you, what if we had the courage to say that ourselves today, kind of like Jesus was doing? At the root of anger between members of the household of God, at the root of lust, in this case, plotting to steal another spouse, at the root of divorce, which as I said, was, he was really dealing with the abandonment of one spouse, and in Jesus' treatment of swearing oaths, common to all of these, if you dig a little deeper, there's something common. It is the fact that by the time the people in these various situations reach the point of not being faithful, they've actually given up on someone else or themselves already. Now, I'm going to go way out on a limb and suggest that we still do that today, not only in these areas, but other areas of our lives. It's very much a part of the human condition to give up on others and even ourselves. So I want to lift up three areas. I think when we begin to give ourselves freedom to dig a little deeper, kind of like what Jesus was doing in these teachings, that there are three contemporary ways I want to bring to your attention that we far too often give up on others and even on ourselves. I fear sometimes we don't dig deep enough in the spirit of what Jesus was saying here on the serpent on the mount, and we just kind of skim along the surface, not really getting what we should from teachings like these. The first thing I want to say is that we tend to give up far too quickly on our cultural and political rivals, and we need to dig deeper to find the resolve to stay in conversation with those with whom we disagree. I say this completely aware of my own shortcomings and imperfections in living this out. I have my own strong and definite opinions, and if you ask me, they're generally right. I would like to think I have given them more thought than the average person of faith when it comes to filtering them through the lens of Jesus' teachings, but there are some days I am not so sure but if our society is going to make any progress 
if we are to become less polarized instead of more polarized, I think people of faith have to lean into our neighbors and not pull away from one another, even when we have fundamental disagreements about big stuff. For starters, we need to remember that it is possible, although not popular, to disagree with someone's ideas without dehumanizing the person with whom we disagree. Now, I do not believe we have to be close friends with everyone or that Jesus would expect us to be dinner and dancing buddies with everybody we meet, but I do believe that we're called as people of faith to treat everyone as we ourselves would like to be treated. I think it's safe to say that it's not too much to ask of ourselves to remain in a relationship where communication is at least possible with some folks who see the world differently than we do. Now, from a purely pragmatic point of view, how do we ever expect the world to heal if we remain isolated in our own bubbles and corners of the world where all the people there generally think and basically act like we do? If we are planning to just conquer those with whom we disagree through political maneuvering without any real connection to our cultural and political rivals out there, nothing will ever change in regards to our relationships, even if we happen to get our way, whatever that is. Now, I recently came across some wise advice from a man named Dr. Barton Goldsmith in an article written for Psychology Today magazine. Goldsmith said, People are not disposable. If you have ever had the experience of cutting someone out of your life only to feel a great loss later on, you know what I mean. Family is everything, and for those who don't have one, friends become that family. Having people in your life makes you feel stronger and validated. If you push them away, you'll feel a loss as soon as your anger goes away. Walking around with anger and hurt in your heart does not make your life a better place to be. So, he goes on to say, try some conversation before you say goodbye or stop texting or talking. And when you are upset, you may not realize the importance of old friends and loved ones, but in time you always do. Friends, we have to remind ourselves that we can disagree with people in our lives without cutting them out of our lives, and not only will we be better for it, but so will the world. Now, if this sounds terribly uncomfortable and wildly countercultural to you, then I'm doing my job. A second group of people we tend to give up on too quickly is the church. When things get tough, we give up on the ability of the beloved community we call the church to provide nurture and inspiration and guidance. And we often, from time to time, during difficulty, turn inward. We disconnect. We push away the very people who could potentially offer us a lifeline in the middle of depression, for example, after the death of a loved one or when we might lose our job or simply feel numb. The church is a direct extension of God's presence to each and every person in her fellowship. And there have been times in my own life, even as the minister of churches that I served, 
where I simply did not know what I would have done without my church family to care for me and offer unconditional support. We hear lots of complaining these days, sometimes even from pulpits, about the many ways churches get things wrong. And the truth is, there are no perfect people, and so by extension, there are no perfect churches. But one way the church still gets it right and always has is by offering love and companionship and support in an otherwise turbulent world. Oh, I suppose we could exist without church family, but it's so much harder to thrive without one. There's an old story. I never tire of telling it. In fact, you've probably heard it before. Maybe you've heard about a member of a certain church who previously had been attending services quite regularly and then stopped going. And after a few weeks, the pastor decided to visit the man. It was a chilly evening, and the pastor found the man at home alone, sitting before a blazing fire. Guessing the reason for his pastor's visit, the man welcomed the pastor and led her to a big chair near the fireplace and waited. The pastor made herself comfortable, but said nothing. And in the grave silence, the man contemplated the play of the flames around the burning logs, and after several minutes, the pastor took the fire tongs, carefully picked up a bright burning ember, and placed it to one side of the hearth, all by itself. In the grave silence, they waited. They sat there for a few minutes. The pastor, she sat back in her chair and still stayed silent, and the host watched all this in quiet fascination. As the one lone ember's flame diminished, there was a momentary glow, and then there was its fire vanishing from sight. Soon it was cold and gray, with no signs of fire or spark. Not a word had been spoken since the initial greeting. And just before the pastor was ready to leave, she picked back up that dead, cold ember and she placed it back in the middle of the fire. And immediately it leapt into flames and began to glow again with light and warmth of the burning coals that surrounded it, giving it new energy. And as the pastor reached the door to leave, her host said, thank you so much for your visit and especially the fiery sermon. I shall be back in church next Sunday we glow best in good company, don't we? And as tired and as frustrated or as depressed as we may ever become, let's not give up too quickly on one another in the beloved community. We really need each other. The third and last bit of encouragement I want to offer up to you can actually be a matter of life and death ultimately. And that is that we often give up too quickly on ourselves and on our own ability to face difficulty and challenging situations. We don't have to do difficult things all, of long, all alone, which was kind of the previous point about relying on the church family to share the load. However, we are also often tougher than we think we are. We are wired and created to do incredibly difficult, extremely important things. After all, human beings are the normal conduit through which God's love and care and presence flow to the world, so we have to be pretty darn tough. And while we have to practice self-care, we must also remember that we have the strength to run fast, to fight hard, and to tackle very challenging situations. 
However, some of us misread our own signals. We confuse the need to take time out to recharge with the time to throw in the towel and quit altogether. As the author of the book of Ecclesiastes first said, before the Beatles made it timeless in our own times, for everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. So, in addition to surrounding ourselves with friends and family and church family who can also help us in our times of need, I believe we must pay attention to our own energy levels, to our own well-being, realizing that this life we live is a marathon and not a sprint, and that sometimes we'll have to do one or the other or even both. In the words of the character Christopher Robin from Winnie the Pooh, you are braver than you believe, stronger than you seem, and smarter than you think. And in his timeless wisdom, Mr. Fred Rogers said, often when you think you're at the end of something, you're actually at the beginning of something else. May we learn to rest and when to work, when to give up and when to keep on fighting, and may we never give up on ourselves too quickly, for in doing so, we shortchange God's creative abilities as well as our own self-respect. I want you to know that I've been working on some of the things we're talking about today myself. I was raised in a very strict religious home. My parents have remained in a tradition that historically struggles let's just say, with legalism and with very literal interpretations of the Scripture, and that tends to have a very narrow view of theology and culture and politics, despite having some other positive attributes as well. As I grew older, I answered my own call into ministry, and I pursued higher education and my own theology, my own worldview, my own understanding of the politics around us in society began to evolve and change in, in ways that would place parts of who I am today at odds with some of my religious upbringing. But in my own growth, I did not realize until just a couple of years ago, I had actually done my beloved parents a terrible disservice. I had become so intensely focused on myself and the ways that I knew I had changed and evolved and developed, but I had actually just assumed in my mind that my parents had stayed exactly as I remembered them from my childhood. So I had made it a point for many years to avoid discussing anything religious with them or theological or political or remotely controversial. And we still talked and we still loved each other, but we didn't talk about too much, certainly not about some of the stuff that really matters. Does your heart ever have one of those days where it just feels heavy because it just seems like bad news is just pouring out of the internet and the television? Well, I was having one of those kind of days and my phone rang. And it was my mom. And I was so tempted not to answer. But I did because I knew I had a very busy day ahead and if I didn't talk to her now, she'd just keep calling. I answered the phone. Mom said, What's wrong? I can hear something in your voice. 
And after I tried to convince her a few times that nothing was wrong, I finally just blurted it out. I can't take it anymore. I've just had about all of the bad news I can, I, I can stand, and I described my frustrations with some of the elected officials and some of the various policies and the other bad news that I'd seen in the world. And my, I said, they're just hurting the lives of vulnerable people with all this crap. And I stopped abruptly after my outburst, thinking to myself, what have I just done? I don't have time for this talk. Because I had figured, you know, mom's religious, theological, and cultural alignments, I had them all figured out. I thought that she was, was just probably supportive of a lot of these things that were so upsetting to me. But much to my shock and even amazement, she said, I know, I'm sick over it all too. I was stunned. I had grown and evolved, I thought, I knew that, but shockingly so had my mother. She wasn't the same as I had assumed she was all of these years. Yet I was the one, not her, who had placed this barrier in our relationship. Certain things were off limits. We would just argue. And our relationship had suffered unnecessarily for it. Now, I'm not saying it'll work out just like this for you. Every relationship, every situation is unique. But I am saying... Let's make sure we don't give up on our loved ones. My encouragement to you is not to write off people quickly just because it's the cultural norm. Not all the ideas and opinions out there are equally true. That much is valid. But all people are equally valuable and indisposable. And behind every idea, behind every conversation... Behind every opinion is a real, living, breathing human being that God dearly loves, including you and me. So instead of writing one another off or instead of avoiding the difficult topics or running from our problems, what would happen if we dug deeper and we embraced those challenges head on? I sure miss being able to talk to my mom about stuff that really did matter. I wonder... Are there people in your life you've written off or given up on? What if talking to you might be the very thing that would help them grow? What if they've already grown, but you don't know about it because you haven't been talking to them? People are infuriating. People can be hurtful and horribly opinionated. People are so often passionate and yet passionately wrong. And I'm not suggesting we feel obligated to stick close to the abusive people who might be in our lives. But what I am suggesting is that we give the annoying people another chance. This is how they grow. This is how we grow. This is how we heal the world. People are worth the trouble, all of us. But sometimes to see it, we've got to dig deeper and give them as well as ourselves another chance. Thanks be to God for those second, third, fourth, and tenth chances. Amen.